Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Today at Stem Cells at Lunch, we have Professor Jan McKenzie from the Blizzard Institute at Queen Mary University London. We are happy to have you with us today. Would you tell us about your work and what you're doing in your lab? Thank you, Ines. Um, I work in the Blizzard Institute, as you've said, and I'm a professor of stem cell science. And I started my work really in research, generally looking at skin and stem cells in normal skin. And for about 10 years now, the focus of my group has been on stem cells in cancers, in particular in cancers in the mouth. Uh, we were able to show that cancers in the mouth have stem cells that function a bit like cancer stem, normal stem, cancer stem cells in the skin, but their, their metabolism is changed so that they divide to produce new stem cells more often than normal stem cells. And as a result of that, the tissue grows, and this is really what a cancer is. Now, if the tissue were just to grow, that's not really going to be a problem. It would make a lump, which we would call a benign tumour, but the real problem comes when the, the tumour tissue decides to invade the local tissue and to spread to distant places, to lymph nodes and in the blood, to the lungs and to bones and to other places. And so we've become very interested lately in how stem cells are able to escape from the initial tumour and then spread to other parts of the body. So what makes a cell escape the, the tumour and become a metastasis? What triggers the cell to detach from the original tumour and then metastasize other parts of the okay. body? Um, well, the, body has, the cells in the body are pretty clever and they do all sorts of very interesting things. And one of the things that cells do when the embryo is first developing is that they have to move from place A to place B to make different tissues. And so they use a process called epithelial to mesenchymal transition. And what that really means is that an epithelial cell, which is fixed and stable, becomes loose of the epithelium and can go to somewhere else and form something different. And although this occurs normally in development, the cancer has learnt this trick and the cancer has re-hijacked re the process that normally occurs in the embryo in order to enable it to spread from place A to place B. This makes me think about the concept of cell heterogeneity, in particular the heterogeneity of the cancer cells itself. How difficult can this be for the treatment of the cancer to have such a diversity of cells to target and to effectively kill with the treatment? And what are the results that we are to expect from the different types of treatments available when they need to target those different types of cells? For many cancers, the treatment at the moment is really not terribly effective. For most cancers, surgery, if the, if the tumour can be diagnosed early enough, then surgery can be quite effective. And this, in oral cancers, surgery will actually cure most of the small cancers completely. But when the cancer is large and they become too big for surgery, the cure rate goes down quite dramatically, and less than 30% of people who've got an advanced cancer live for five years. And this is despite having the very best therapy in terms of radiation and drugs and so on and so forth. So we do have a problem with killing the cancers using chemicals and radiation. And it appears that one of the very likely reasons for this is that the stem cells themselves are able to resist uh, being killed. They're, they're tougher than the rest of the cells. And so when the medic medication or the radiation hits the tumour, the large part of the tumour dies, which isn't stem cells, but the stem cells remain alive and they're able to divide some more and regenerate the tumour. 
Up until recently, it was thought that a tumour consisted of stem cells, which were making it grow, and non-stem cells, which was the bulk of the tumour. But it looks now as if the stem cells themselves have got different, uh, as you say, heterogeneous properties, and that they differ in their responses to drugs. So not only are we looking for something which kills stem cells, we're looking for something which kills stem cells in all the different phenotypes that they express. And so far, most of the ways that people look at drugs is to give them to people and see whether the tumour gets smaller. And so you can get a tumour to get smaller without actually killing the stem cells, and then you think you've done something useful, but in fact you really haven't. So what we're developing at the moment, and what we've really got some high hopes for, is to develop ways to assay the drug responses of each of the different types of stem cell that are in a tumour so that we can find a combination of drugs that may kill them all. And even if there are some cells that resist, would this be also um, treated by chemical or would you do a combination with chemical treatment and radiotherapy or uh, how can we make sure that we'll be targeting all the, not only the older populations but even those that imagine can resist, how exactly would you then treat them? Would you try a different type of drug or a different type of type of treatment? Well, the, the, I mean, the immediate approach that we're taking is to look at all the drugs that we can get our hands on that have been known to cure cancer. And the National Institutes of Health in America has got a drug panel of 119 drugs. So we're using these drugs to see whether, if we put these drugs on the cells in each of their phenotypes, which phenotypes are killed. And so we can work out which drug is going to kill the, the, the stem cell when it's like this and which drug is going to kill the stem cell when it's like that. And then if we can find these individual drugs that work, we can work out a combination of drugs that should kill all of the stem cells and thus cure cancer. And in the type of cancer that you work, uh, head and neck cancer, uh, the, I was reading that the major risk factors for it are smoking and alcohol. Uh, so when we smoke or when we have a glass of wine, what exactly happens to the cells uh, to, to trigger these uh, displeasures and these future, in the future these uh, tumours in uh, the oral epithelia? Well, I think it's well known that uh, cigarette smoke or tobacco smoke generally has lots and lots of different carcinogens, and these mainly act by damaging the DNA. They cause mutations in the cells, and these mutations cause the cells to behave differently and to become cancers. The question is, of course, why does it actually affect the mouth so much? Well, when you smoke a cigarette or puff on a pipe, these products become dissolved in the saliva and the whole mucosa of the mouth is exposed to them. And the reason why perhaps cigarettes and alcohol together, drinking, are particularly dangerous is that the cigarette carcinogens are in the mouth and the alcohol allows them to penetrate into the epithelium. And so the alcohol helps the toxins, the carcinogens get in, and the carcinogens are provided by the cigarette smoke. So you've got a a lovely situation to do that. One of the other things I'm working on is something called Fanconi anemia, which uh, is a very unpleasant disease where there are some uh, defects in the DNA repair mechanisms. And uh, this is a disease which, interestingly, but very sadly, starts with leukaemia, And the children used to get it very early, two, three years of age, and often die. And now people have overcome the death from the leukemias. And unfortunately, we find that the people who have got this genetic defect start getting head and neck cancers 
at 400 to 1,000 times more frequency than the normal population. So it looks as though DNA repair, our ability to repair DNA, is also very much involved with head and neck cancers. And as uh, I think we were talking a little earlier, uh, it's quite probable that the bacteria in the mouth are actually producing chemicals. It's known, for example, that the bacteria can metabolize alcohol into acetaldehydes, and these are also damaging to the DNA. So the alcohol can actually finish up causing mutations in the cells by the products that it produces. That's a bit scary thinking about it. Um, any idea what, of what will be the next breakthrough discovery on the cancer stem cell field? Okay. What are your, your uh, uh, bets for it? Well, I would like to think that uh, cancer stem cells are going to help a lot, but I must say, I must temper that, because I always thought that that was probably the most interesting thing for therapy of cancer. But I must say that a lot of discoveries just lately about immunotherapy and cancer are looking very promising, and I think that's something we've got to keep our eyes on. When it comes to the stem cells, I think, the, to me, the main advantage is that when you're using radiation or particularly when you're using chemical uh, in order to kill the cells, you have to be able to test it. And so now that we can know where the stem cells are, now that we can recognize them, now that we can isolate them, we can actually test our cancer medicines on the stem cells directly. And then I think that's probably going to increase our rate of success in treating cancers. Well, great. That sounds more promising. Thank you so much and good luck for your future work. Thank you and very good luck to your Stem Cell Institute here at Guys. Okay, thank you.